Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Natural Curiosity Project. I'm Steve Shepard. So as a lot of you know, I grew up in Spain from the time I was 13 until I graduated from the American School of Madrid. Thanks to my time there, I developed a lifelong passion for culture and language. I speak seven of them with reasonable levels of fluency, so frankly, nothing intrigues me more than someone in an elevator who's speaking a language that I can't even regionally place, much less understand. Now, Spanish, of course, doesn't fall into that category. I speak it well enough that I'm occasionally mistaken for a native speaker, which I guess I almost am. In fact, when the time came to go to college, I enrolled in the University of California at Berkeley and ended up getting an undergrad degree in a field that pretty much no one has ever heard of called Romance Philology. Philology is the study of language structures and origins. So Romance Philology is specific to the Romance languages, which include you know, all of the languages that derive from vulgar Latin. The most common Romance languages are Spanish, French, Portuguese, Romanian, Italian. The least known of them include such languages as Catalan, Occitan, Romance, Piedmontese, and Corsican. It's a really interesting field that I literally use every single day of my life to identify words that I don't know or to draw linkages between similar words in different languages. Now, one of the coolest things that we learned was a phonetic alphabet that gave us the Harry Potter-like ability to write words exactly as they sound, so that a word that's pronounced one way in Spain can be written differently than the way it's pronounced in, say, Mexico. For example, the Spanish word for house. In Latin America, they say casa. You hear that sibilant S? Well, in Spain, they say casa almost like it's an SH. I'm exaggerating a little bit, but you hear the difference? Well, the phonetic alphabet allows me to write the same word differently and therefore know exactly how to pronounce it in different regions, or for that matter, to identify a person's country of origin by the way they pronounce certain words. Here's another example. Think about the TH sound in these two words, thorn and weather. You hear the difference? Thorn and weather. Well, there are symbols in the phonetic alphabet that allow me to identify those. They're called ev and thorn, and there are a lot more of them. Really, really interesting stuff. But even with that level of familiarity, there is one aspect of the Spanish language that still fascinates me. And I guess it's true of all languages, but I'm most familiar with Spanish. And that's the number of words that it has given to the English language. Now, I'm not talking about Spanish words that are used in their native form as if they were English words like I don't know, enchilada and amigo in Los Angeles. I'm talking about Spanish words that entered the English language because they were overheard and adopted, but typically transmogrified along the way. By the way, that's a really good word, transmogrified. Go look it up if you don't know it. Here are a few of my favorites. The word alligator. This word comes from the Spanish word, or a phrase, I guess, el lagarto, which means the lizard. Say it. It sounds just like alligator, doesn't it? Alligator, el lagarto. You see how that would get mixed up? Here's another one. You know the word husgal? You know, the old cowboy word for the jail? Well, this is a corruption of the phrase el husgado, which means the court. Husgal is a slang English word for jail or prison, as in, he's in the husgal, we got to go spring him. Okay, here's another one. How about Key West? 
I mean, who would have thought that the name of this popular resort comes directly from Spanish and not from the fact that it's a Western key? Nope. It comes from the Spanish phrase Cayo Hueso, which means bone key. It turns out that ships were constantly finding themselves wrecked on the poorly marked coral reefs down there. And because of the bones scattered about from unlucky sailors and shipboard livestock that drowned, it was given this name by the Spaniards, Cayo Hueso which was then misinterpreted by English speakers as Key West, because that's what it sounded like to an Anglo ear. Here's another one. The word lariat. You know that loop that cowboys use to to stop cows? This is another great word that came from the Spanish. It derives from the phrase la reata, which means a rope or a strap. A similar one is lasso, which comes from el lasso, which is a noose or a braided rope for tying things together. Another really good one is the word Mustang. This word comes from the Spanish word Mesteño, which means pertaining to or derived from the Mesta. The Mesta was an influential association of sheep herders in medieval Castile in Spain. Here's a really interesting fact. These people had so much power in Spain that to this day, they are free to drive herds of sheep down the main streets of Madrid with impunity. The law protects them. In fact, when I was a kid and I lived there, we used to see it all the time. You would actually see entire herds of sheep going right down the main drag in the middle of the business district of Spain. It was amazing. Okay, here's another one, palaver. This isn't quite as common, but you do hear it in old Western movies. It was common to hear a character say to another, we need to have a palaver. Now, this word derives from the Spanish word palabra, which means word, although it's also used in slang form to mean an extended conversation. How about the word rodeo? This comes from the Spanish word rodeado, which means to surround or to encircle, a roundup. I mean, isn't this interesting? You know, we use many of these words without even thinking about where they come from. I mean, it fascinates me to see how languages leak into each other. Here are a few more. You know the phrase of 10-gallon hat? You know, most of us, and that includes me, by the way, until I learn better, would conclude that the name 10-gallon refers to the size of the hat. But in fact, it comes from the Spanish phrase tangalan, which translates to how gallant or how elegant. How about that? How about vamoose? from the Spanish word vamos, which means, come on, let's go, let's get going. Cool, right? Okay, I'm going to switch gears for a minute, and I'm going to talk about another of my favorite linguistic rabbit holes, which is pigeon. Now, this is not the kind of pigeon that leaves unpleasant, white, splotchy messages on your car. I'm talking about the language pigeon, which is spelled P-I-D-G-I-N. It's spoken all over the world in various forms. In fact, more than 2 million people speak it in Papua New Guinea alone. Wikipedia lists almost 50 different pidgin languages. Now, pidgin's defined as a language that's spoken between two groups of people who don't have a common language between them, so they just create one. It usually comes about because of a need to do business between the two groups, so they create a simple common language that they can both understand. And by the way, some people use pidgin and creole interchangeably, but they're not the same thing. Creole is actually a complete language with a well-developed grammar and vocabulary and sentence structure that in some cases may actually have its roots in some form of pidgin. But Creole speakers are native speakers of that language. It's the language they were born into and that they learned from childhood. Now, the cool thing about pidgin is that you can learn it, and I mean the entire language, in about a week. Okay, maybe not all the vocabulary, but certainly the structure and the ability to speak it. 
If you go to the web, you'll find all kinds of resources where you can listen to pidgin being spoken. There are radio stations that broadcast it and so on. There are even pidgin dictionaries out there. Now, one thing you have to know about pidgin is that it is completely phonetic in its pronunciation. There are no complex sentence structures. What you hear is what you write. So just to give you a sense of how it sounds and how much fun it is, let me share a few phrases, starting with a simple one and going to some more complex examples. Okay? We'll start with this one. Winmasin. This is spelled W-I-N and then a second word M-A-S-I-N. Winmasin. Well, what it literally means is, and the way you figure this out is think about the sound, not the structure. Winmasin. Winmasin. Wind machine. This is a fan. Okay? Here's another one. This is a little bit easier. Nogat money. N-O-G-A-T, second word M-O-N-I. Nogat money. I'm broke. Here's one a little harder. It's a short one, but it's a little more difficult. Maufgras. This is spelled M-A-U-F-G-R-A-S. Maufgras. It literally means the grass that grows on your mouth, otherwise known as a mustache. How about tokfas? Tokfas. T-O-K-F-A-S. It means you're talking too fast. Here's another good one. This is one of my favorites. Ready? It's a whole it's a whole phrase. I'm going to say it for you. Man i katim gras bilong het. I'll say it again. Man i katim gras bilong het. I'll more or less translate it for you literally. Man, he cuts the grass that belongs on your head. This is a barber. Right? Okay, here's a really tough one. Nama wan pikinini son Mrs. Queen. Again, nama wan pikinini son Mrs. Queen. Nama wan is number one. Pikinini is a word stolen from Swahili, which means a small child. Son is son. Mrs. Queen is the queen. Remember that Papua New Guinea, at one time or another, was uh, a country that showed allegiance to the British crown. The number one child of Mrs. Queen is Prince Charles. That's pretty cool, right? I mean, you'd be amazed how easy it is to express even really complex concepts using a language as simple as pigeon. So I'm going to sign off in pigeon. Goodbye. Look him you behind. Kiss him good pelade. That means goodbye. I'll see you soon. Have a great day. For the Natural Curiosity Podcast, I'm Steve Shepard. See you in the next episode.